WTTM 394. Window to the Magic is a member of the Mice Chat Podcast Network. MicePod.com. MiceChat.com. Now, surround yourself with the magic. You're listening to the Window to the Magic.com podcast. Brought to you by WindowToTheMagic.com. Surround yourself with the magic. Hello, and welcome to A Window to the Magic. My name is Paul, and as always, I will be your guide through the wonderful world of Disney sound experiences. This show is a weekly trip through the world of the Disney theme parks and resorts, and this is the place where you get to use your ears to surround yourself with the magic. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to episode number 394 of A Window to the Magic, the ultimate Disney audio adventure. This week, believe it or not, I am not at the Disneyland Resort. I've taken a trip up a little bit, I believe we're north, of Disneyland, and we are at the UCLA campus, and I have with me Matthew, Nicole, and Allison, and they are from UCLA's Disney Club. Welcome, guys. Thank you very much, Paul, for having us. See, I spread them out in the stereo field. Isn't that cool? (laughs) Anyway, okay, so we are here tonight to uh, have a talk in the evening with Marty Sklar. Why don't you go ahead and tell me what what brought this about? What's, What's going on here? So the Disney Club of UCLA is in its third year of existence now. I actually founded the club two years ago. And starting from humble beginnings of five friends in a dorm room watching movies together, it turned into a, a massive operation now that we have over 1,600 members on Facebook. Wow. And we have over 1,000 people on our email list. So humble beginnings turn into something great eventually. Uh, over the past few years, we've had the uh, head chief archivist, Dave Smith, come and visit us, as well as the director of The Lion King, Rob Minkoff, and Leia Salonga, who sang for Jasmine and Milan, and she sang for us, and she's won a Tony, so that was amazing. And then tonight, we get to add the wonderful Marty Sklar to our amazing list of panelists so far that we've brought. Wonderful. So we have a group of Disney friends that have come together, and they are getting together to do what? What do you guys do as a Disney club? That's a great question. Um, We're not like other clubs on campus. We don't meet weekly or even monthly. Our goal is to really share the magic, and we do that through a series of events. We have big events where we bring in big speakers, like Matthew was just talking about, and we also have smaller events, like game nights and movie nights. And really, we just, We have a passion for Disney and we want to make the world kind of a better place and to be able to spread that Disney magic to everyone. Very, very nice. We call ourselves the happiest club on campus. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, I guess that makes sense. (laughs) All right. So why don't you tell me from your perspective what it's like being a member of the club? So I'm a first year, so I actually just joined this year, but um, I've loved it so far. it's, it takes a lot more work than you'd think because a lot of people just think, oh, like Disney Club, you just watch some movies. But um, we actually, we put a lot into these events, you know, a lot of planning goes into it. Um, we have to work a lot. Like this time we worked with um, ORL, which is the Office of Residential Life to get, put this on. Um, and so it's just, it's a lot of hard work. But like Nicole was saying, you know, we put our passion into it. We love what we're doing. And so it's really a lot of fun. There you go. So it sounds like you guys are having a lot of fun here. Now tonight we're having Marty, who's going to be talking about various things throughout his life. Have you, have you any of you read his book yet? 
We have not because we're waiting for tonight to get him to get an autographed copy. So there you go. Okay. So we are looking forward to reading his book. Now. Good. I got a copy of it uh, just in this last week, and I also have not had a chance to read it. Now I did have a chance uh, to talk to Marty a little bit about his book and about your Disney Club, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and play that audio right here. All right, right now I have the great pleasure of being joined by Marty Sklar. Uh, well, I don't even need to introduce uh, who he is, but what, what is your current title for the Walt Disney Company? Well, I have none. I'm retired. Uh, retired in 2009. But I have my own company now. It's called Marty Sklar Creative Inc. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Okay. And I... Um, I, I remember you being a, a, a WDI uh, ambassador or something like that. Are you still doing that? Well, I had so many different titles at Imagineering. I was a creative leader for 30-some years. and At one time, I was president. and then My favorite title was vice chairman and principal creative executive. Huh? And then the last few years, uh, I was called... Uh, Vice President and uh, Imaginary Ambassador. Wow, that is quite a title. Now, you've written a book about your experiences building the Magic Kingdoms and, and basically continuing Walt's dream. Um, I have not had a chance to read the book yet, but I'm looking forward to reading it. What am I going to most enjoy about this book, what do you think? Well, I think it's an inside story about a lot of different aspects of uh, what we did over half a century plus it's called dream it do it my uh, half century creating Disney's Magic Kingdoms and uh, I wrote it because a lot of people asked me to number one uh, number two uh, I, I'm the only uh, Disney uh, cast member who was involved as a working person uh, in all all 11 Disney parks around the world wow uh, third, I spent 10 years writing for Walt, so I had a lot of inside stories and, and insight more than anything about certain things that uh, uh, I wanted to clarify about Walt, who I just loved working with. And uh, then I had worked with so many of the imaginary legends. Uh, they were my mentors, and I wanted to talk about them. And then I wanted to talk about Imagineering itself and, uh, from the inside. So it's got a lot of stories that have never been told before, and uh, I had fun writing it. I think it's a good read. It, it sounds like it's going to be a great book, and that's right where I enjoy So that's, that's going to be great. Um, how, how long did it take you to write the book? Actually, I started before I retired because... Uh, once I decided that I had a book to write, um, I started making notes. And when I uh, retired in 2009, July 17th, by the way, <laughs> um, I, I had about a dozen single-spaced notes about <laughs> people and places and events that I wanted to remember and put together. And then I actually storyboarded the, the book chapter by chapter. How very Disney of you. Yeah, and yeah, you know, that's the way I worked for so many years. And uh, I was able to move uh, elements uh, all around because I had a, uh, when I built an office at my home, 
I put pinnable walls there, so <laughs> I could uh, treat it like we developed stories in, in the storyboard, and uh, that was very helpful. Very, very nice. And then the last thing, which sure. surprises a lot of people, is I wrote the whole thing longhand. Really? Yeah, because I started uh, on my computer, and I, I felt like I was getting ahead of myself, because... <coughs> I wanted to, uh, you know, when you take a page off your computer, you want it to be right. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't ready for that yet. So write it in, in longhand. And I worked with my daughter who did all the typing and editing for me. And uh, that was a really good way to work. Very, very cool. I'm very excited to read it. And, and thank you for providing a copy to me. I, I, I definitely appreciate that. Now, are you're here tonight. Are you talking about the book tonight, or are we just... What are we talking about tonight? I'm talking about whatever the students want to talk about. Oh, very nice. A okay. wonderful Disney club that they told me tonight has about 1,600 members now. Mm -hmm. And uh, Matt, who, uh, Matthew, who uh, was one of the organizers originally, he asked me about a year ago to do this. And I said, well, let's wait till my book is out. Then you can, uh, it's a good time to do that. Very, very good, very good. So what do you think of the idea of UCLA uh, having a Disney club? I think it's fabulous. I mean, uh, when I was a student here, I think I would have liked that connection, too, to be able to... They, they screen Disney films, they uh, bring in people like Dave Smith and others, and, and people from animation, and that and, uh, I think it's a really healthy thing, uh, making fans early for Disney. Very, very good. Now, Walt Disney, for me, was always a person that uh, he created a, a place, Disneyland specifically, that I could go as a young boy and feel safe and have fun and just genuinely be happy. Okay, that's I, I love Walt Disney because he was able to do that for me. Why do you love Walt Disney? Well, uh, probably the biggest reason is that uh, I learned so much from him. He was a, uh, a mentor in his own way, although he would never have told me that about any of the other talent that we worked with. And uh, I think the biggest thing was that he made it clear to all of us that whatever he did yesterday was never going to be good enough again. Mm -hmm. And so we all had to stretch every time we did a new project. We had to stretch beyond what we even thought we were capable of. And uh, that was a great way of working uh, for somebody to, to tell you that because he wasn't interested. He knew he could do all those things, right. but he, what, he didn't know what the organization was capable of to challenge us to do it. And uh, that was exciting. Wonderful. Well, it is very exciting to get to meet you. I have bumped into you before, but never actually personally spoken with you. So thank you very much for all your years of service. I, I, I love everything that you've been involved with, and I, I look forward to hearing you for many years to come. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right, so you want to talk about being terrified. That was me talking with Marty, and to be that close to a Disney legend is just awesome. And I definitely want to thank the UCLA Disney Club for giving me the opportunity to come down and meet him. Now, 
as far as opportunities, I, I'm hoping this is not going to be my last opportunity to hang out with you guys. We hope not either, because we really want to you know, keep working with you guys. So uh, we have a lot of events that we put on, you know, as Nicole was saying earlier. Uh, hopefully some of them will, will start being open to the public in the future. Um, so you can check our Facebook page by searching Disney Club of UCLA on Facebook. We also have a website at UCLADisneyClub.com. Uh, you can check us out both of those places to find more information. Okay, Twitter account? We do have a Twitter account. Uh, I believe it's Disney Club UCLA. Okay, perfect. And everybody can link off of that. Yes, perfect. It's been a fantastic night, and we just really want to thank Marty for coming. He's a great speaker, and it's great to hear the backstory to the Disney magic. And okay. thank you so much for having us on uh, your podcast. We were very excited to hear you guys were coming, and so glad you could make it. So thank you again. Well, like I said, I definitely appreciate being invited. And uh, so now that we've gotten through all of this, Let's go ahead and go into the main hall and listen to Marty talk about his life as, uh, as a creative individual. This is going to be awesome. You guys are going to like it. I will talk to you when it's over. Please welcome the founder and the executive director of the Disney Club of UCLA, Matthew
and uh, and the detail of those kinds of stories are what makes all the parts work. The details and the getting you involved in the depth of the story. And uh, once I got that in my head, uh, everything fell into place in uh, understanding what the business was all about. Well. I don't want to take too much time with that kind of background, but uh, over time, I, I did come back, finished my last year here at UCLA, and then went back to work for Disney. And uh, very early on, I had the opportunity to write personal material for Walt Disney. And, and in the meantime, we were buying all that land in Florida. And Disney has uh, almost 28, over 28,000 acres in Florida. Now, just to give you a little dynamic of that, that's uh, twice the size of Manhattan Island. Um, and it is almost exactly the same size land area as the city of San Francisco. So you can tell uh, that uh, filling that is pretty uh, interesting challenge over the years. And now Disney has four parks on that land, two water parks, almost 30,000. Uh, places for people to stay, campgrounds, hotels, vacation clubs. So it's a pretty, I don't think there's anything like it anywhere in the world, the Walt Disney World in uh, Florida. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh oh, it's the Inquisitor. <laughs> Hi, I'm Danielle, and I'm just up here. We're going to ask Marty some questions that we have to um, just go, give us more insight on his life. Um, so, the first question is, Got to be about UCLA. Um, what made you choose UCLA? You know, I was a, uh, a, a basketball fan of Coach Woodens even uh, before I uh, came to UCLA, and um, and my dad was was taking uh, uh, courses to get his PhD. He was a, a teacher and later a principal in Los Angeles schools. Uh, he never did get his PhD, but he was uh, coming up to UCLA from Long Beach, where we lived. So it was kind of in uh, in my DNA, I think, to want to come to, to UCLA. Okay. And by the way, I got a huge scholarship first year. It covered my whole tuition, fifty dollars a semester. First <laughs> 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 Yeah. 
Frisco won the national championship. They split two games with, with them, and, then, and uh, that was the team that had Bill Russell and Casey Jones uh, on it. So it was a pretty darn good team. So cool. Um, uh, so I also uh, was a sports editor when UCLA went 9 and 0 in 1954 and was co-national champion in football with uh, Ohio State. And that was pretty special because we went to uh, let's see, we traveled to Kansas and to Washington and Oregon State and and Berkeley and uh, they were amazing that year. They beat. Uh, Oregon State 69 to nothing, and they beat uh, uh, Stanford 72 to nothing. working with 
Walt Disney on that film because I had uh, uh, I had two meetings, just the two of us in his office, and I still have seven pages of notes that I made in those meetings. And you know, he made it so easy for me to write the script because he was so clear on what he wanted to accomplish. And uh, yeah, that's pretty hard to to top having somebody of that stature and uh, caliber trusting you to do something like that. And it was obviously his concept was uh, meant to be the pinnacle of his career. And so to be exposed to that and uh, trusted to do the writing for that was, uh, I, I don't think I could top that. So you recently wrote a book back in August. Um, what, like, why did you feel compelled to write it back? Why did I feel compelled to write the book? Well, people kept asking me if I was going to write a book when I retired. And uh, so I thought about it. And then I started making notes about, <clears throat> about two years before I retired. And when I uh, finally sat down to, <coughs> excuse me, when I finally sat down to write my book, I had about 12 pages of single-spaced notes, things I wanted to remember about people, about events, about projects. And uh, then I, I, uh, I built an office attached to my house and put pinnable walls like the conference rooms we have at Imaginarium. And uh, I actually storyboarded the, the chapters in the book. So I'd have all of them spread out in front of me. And over here I'd have a list of things I wanted to put in the book and I could take pin it up over here and put it in chapter three or wherever I felt as I was starting to write. Uh, but the reason, there, there are four or five reasons that uh, I wanted to write the book besides the fact that uh, so many people asked me to do it. <coughs> Excuse me. One reason um, was that um, I'm the only one that has been involved in the opening of all 11 Disney parks around the world. So I had a, a unique perspective. The second reason was I wanted to create, uh, to actually write about some of the myths and legends about Walt Disney and, and some of them I wanted to clean up. For example, it was, uh, a lot of people thought he was anti-Semitic. <coughs> Not true at all, and as a Jew, I could relate to that. <laughs> I was writing all this stuff for him. You know, my friends, uh, so many of my friends, Bob and Dave Sherman and many other people in the company, it's just not true. And I wanted to correct that impression. Third, uh, I wanted people to know a lot of my mentors at Imagineering. Now these were the great Disney legends, you know, the nine old men, some of them Mark Davis and uh, Claude Coates, who laid out the whole pirate attraction. John Hench, who uh, designed Space Mountain and uh, Spaceship Earth and Epcot. And, and Roly Crump, who did so much on the Haunted, <coughs> the haunted Mansion. And, uh, and uh, It's a Small World and the Tiki Room. Absolutely. I mean, it was just huge talents. Harper Goff, who designed the Nautilus Submarines. And he was really responsible for the World Showcase and uh, layout concept in that. 
so huge talents, and I wanted people to know about them. And then I also had a perspective of spending 30 years as the leader of Imaginarian, and I wanted people to know um, about how we worked and, and some of the issues that we dealt with. And, and then there was the, the big change of management at Disney. It went from Walt passing away <coughs> to the next group, which was Card Walker, and then Michael Eisner came in, and finally Bob Iger. So there were different managements, different approaches to things, different periods of development. And, and I, you know, I, I guess you could say that I'm the only one who actually saw all that and had to relate to it and, and to, uh, as the leader of the creative leader of the, the Imagineers. So, in a way, if I hadn't written the book, a lot of history would have been lost. And I didn't want that to happen. So we have a really fun question. Um, uh -oh. who's, your, who's your favorite Disney character and why? Oh, my favorite, Donald Duck. <laughs> you know why? She was born the same year I was. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you when that was. <laughs> You'll have to look up. When was Donald Duck born? <laughs> Don't ask some librarian. They'll look at you and they'll say, why would you want to know that? <laughs> Do you have any advice for people who want to be imaginators? Yeah, you know, I always, I get so many questions that have over the years. I still do. I get letters all the time from young people, and I just made a talk back, uh, back east, and <coughs> kids came up to me, and they all said, you know, this is what we want to do. We want to be become imaginators. And maybe 20 years ago, people didn't even know what an Imaginaire was, but now you've got a course here that Bruce Vaughn teaches about Imagineering. And uh, so many young people really want to work at Imagineering for good reason. I mean, it's a wonderful place to work, whatever field you're, you're in, because there's about 140 different disciplines at Imagineering. Not just people who draw and paint, but people who have build things, engineer things, architects, mechanical engineers, you name it, I mean, the spectrum <coughs> that it takes to create everything that goes into a part. And uh, I think the main thing is you, you learn as much as you can about as many things as you can when you're young, because that foundation really pays off uh, as you go through life. It really does. Now, here I was, I wanted to be a, a a newspaper writer and uh, got diverted, so to speak. Uh, but here's the thing, I, since UCLA did, did not have, and still doesn't have a journalism major, I was a political science major and I had a minor in history, I think I had enough units to, to major in history as well. And I must say that, that uh, uh, the things that I learned uh, as accommodation skills and knowledge really has paid off over the years. And so I'm, I'm kind of happy that there was no journalism major here. So I can take all these other courses and become a more educated person. Uh, the other thing is I think you should try. <clears throat> you should try uh, a, a lot of different things when you're young because you may think you know exactly what you want to do. And a lot of people do. On the other hand, a lot of people find out by uh, being involved
really want to. And uh, having the, the passion to really develop your own, uh, your own uh, potential is so important. Because I've worked with so many people who just wanted to get by, uh, even though they were good. But it's the passion, the people that had passion for what they were doing really cared, really uh, wanted to uh, go beyond what they had done the last time. Those are the people that you want around, around you. Uh, and uh, uh, that is, you know, my, one of my mentors, John Hench, said it, it's, it's a, not a my business, it's a we business. And uh, that kind of teamwork, you really want people who are passionate and really care and they want to work hard and do uh, the best possible job. In fact, let me just read something that uh, one of my favorite quotes from, from Walt Disney. Actually, uh, I found a poorly written version of this and rewrote it. And then got Walter and recorded it. And it's, this, it's called The Walt Disney Four Seas. And he said, somehow I can't believe there are many heights that can't be scaled by a man, today he would say, by a person, by a man who knows the secret of making dreams come true. This special secret can be summarized in four C's. They are curiosity, confidence, courage, and constancy. And the greatest of these is confidence. When you believe in a thing, believe in it all the way. Have confidence in your ability to do it right and work hard to do the best possible job. Boy, is that a way to live your life? I think so. So last but not least, uh, I definitely know, if I know anything about people in this room, that we all want to come out of UCLA successful. And uh, so how did your time as a UCLA Bruin prepare you for your success at Disney? I'll tell you one. Uh, way uh, was very important, and that is working on a newspaper with uh, every day having a deadline for the story I was writing. And uh, when I was a night editor, uh, putting the paper together, having that deadline that I had to meet, I was never scared about deadlines. Uh, even when we were doing billion-dollar projects somewhere around the world, it just didn't scare me because I had had to meet these constant deadlines every day in the daily movement business. And I think that was the greatest preparation that, uh, I, uh, that and, and, and I credit UCLA, credit the Daily Bruin, credit that experience with, uh, with uh, really developing a, uh, a, an attitude for me never to be afraid of the deadline. Uh, you just, you, you know, every, you know, you always have a deadline. I mean, there's so many things that you, that you do in life that you have to meet uh, a certain, in a certain time frame. And uh, you know, people who really, uh, really know how to do that can get to the point where they have to produce whatever it is they're working on. And they, they know how to sequence their ideas, sequence use their time, and that's what you do. And I learned that out of, out of the newspaper business. Uh, but I also, I mean, how could, how could you not have uh, learned
so much from people like Coach Wood. Uh, he was just phenomenal. And I remember one, to tell you one story. He called me <coughs> one time and asked me to come to his office. And uh, uh, he said, now, I have an opportunity to, to play a certain player uh, either in freshman ball, which uh, if you look back at UCLA history, even when uh, when uh, uh, Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar came to UCLA, they were still playing freshman basketball. You couldn't play on the varsity if you were a freshman. So he had, there was a quirk in the NCAA rules uh, that that year as one player he had recruited from uh, San Pedro High School, his name was Willie Knowles, and he said, I have an opportunity to play in either on the, the freshman team or the varsity, and he said, he's the player of the year in Los Angeles High School, and I'm going to play on the, I decided I'm going to play on the varsity, but the reason I asked you to come to my office is because all the pressure that's going to be on this 18-year-old, uh, and at that time, Los Angeles had four newspapers, four daily newspapers, the Times, the Mirror, the Examiner, and the Herald, and uh, Coach Wooden said, there's going to be so much pressure on this young man. He said, I would never tell you how to write your story, but just think about the human part of this uh, when you do write it. And that, that stuck with me for a long time, and uh, fortunately it was good news because Willie Knowles became an All-American, uh, later played for the Boston Celtics, and won three, N N uh, three NBA championships for the Celtics, and, and uh, was an All-Star about six years, so Coach Wood made a good pick. <laughs> but it was more about the, the human aspects of that. And really, I thought about that many times over the years as a leader of uh, people trying to develop uh, uh, the skills of people I, I uh, led. And uh, so those were great examples, opportunities to, for me to learn. Thank you so much, Marty. Thank you. Okay, so now we're going to have a little Q&A. So um, if anyone has questions, just raise your hand and I'll get you the mic. Was there ever a time when you felt like quitting Disney Imagineering? Yeah, there were a couple of times after Walt that I went, it was very frustrating because we didn't seem to be going anywhere. Uh, and uh, that was a hard time. And I thought, well, you know, am I going to stick through this period and will I find uh, uh, leadership in the company to, uh, in the guts, to go ahead with the Walt Disney World project? Because Disney was a little company in 1966, 67, um, and had only uh, invested $5 million in buying all that land in Florida. $5 million, imagine that. Uh, I couldn't even guess what it's worth today. Uh, so, yeah, that was one period. And, uh, and probably another couple of times when I said, you know, then I thought about doing something else. You always do, you know. I think mean, that's a human, uh, just a human trait. You uh, think, is that, am I in the right place? I was living in Anaheim at the time, and uh, uh, actually, I, I lived in Anaheim 
said, one of the reasons was I was on the school board now, not for 10 years, and we were involved in the community, and my kids were in good schools. But I walked into the house and said to my wife, I can't do this anymore. I can't drive that freeway anymore. And she looked at me and she said, I've been waiting 25 years for you to say that. <laughs> and subsequently she said, you were really stupid to do that. <laughs> that was a good reason to quit after <laughs> And there's some things I won't do today that I that uh, I used to do. 
uh, contractions like like uh, Everest. And, and any of you have been in, in uh, Expedition Everest at the Animal Kingdom of Walt Disney World, man, that is a thrill ride. <laughs> I'm not doing that again. <laughs> So, so you mentioned that uh, in the 60s, Disney was a small, smaller organization. But you know, oh, could you comment on why uh, the World's Fair was such a, a big deal and why so much resources went into the World's Fair? Oh yeah, we all had, I think, uh, several objectives. And, and number one was uh, to show that the kind of entertainment you could do in a Disneyland for eight or nine years by then would work in the eastern part of the country. That, therefore, was the stepping stone from west coast to east coast uh, and Walt Disney World, Florida project. The second, uh, and by the way, uh, it was the same year that the fair of 1964 that we started buying that land in Florida. Uh, the second reason was to, he wanted to bring all those attractions back to Disneyland and uh, and build Disneyland, build up Disneyland, and, and those things came back. Remember, the Carousel of Progress was at Disneyland for five years, still playing at Walt Disney World now. Uh, the the dinosaurs that are on the train ride at Disneyland came out of the, the Ford attraction at the New York World's Fair. That wonderful Sherman Brothers song and show It's a Small World was first developed for the New York World's Fair. And uh, the Lincoln Show was first done at the, at the New York World's Fair. So a lot of new product was developed. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, there wasn't an attraction in the whole industry that would could handle even 2,000 people an hour. And here, uh, we did two shows for the New York World's Fair. That it's a small world boat ride that could handle 3,600 people an hour. And the Carousel of Progress, the moving theaters, that could handle over 3,000 people an hour. So all of a sudden, instead of handling, uh, handling half that, we could handle twice as many people on, on uh, an individual attraction. And, and the last reason was, that Walt was showing major corporations that his name was Magic, uh, and he was. And Look Magazine was no longer published, but at the time, Life and Look were the two biggest magazines in the country, and Look Magazine ran a headline that said, Walt Disney, giant of the fair, and he was. And our shows were, uh, except for the G uh, General Motors show, which had a bigger capacity than we did, uh, it was a chair ride. Uh, we, uh, um, our shows were the next four in popularity in the fair. Uh, and we developed certain technology, audio and electronics for the, for the first time, Lincoln and, and the GE show, and also uh, the uh, people movement was used to, to, uh, move Ford, Ford automobiles. We put people in Ford convertibles for the ride in the Ford Pavilion. So everybody who came to that pavilion got exposed to a Ford automobile. Uh, there were convertibles so they all hit their head and getting into it. 
I would like to thank you all for listening to A Window to the Magic as we continue our ninth season of bringing you the best audio adventures from throughout the wonderful world of Disney. And that's whether it's at the parks or someplace like the UCLA campus with the UCLA Disney crew. Those are a bunch of nice guys. Do you like them? They, I love them. They were nice. Yeah. Very, very nice group of people. Absolutely. If you have heard this show on, uh, you know, you found out about us because of the UCLA Disney Group, send us an email. Paul at windowtothemagic.com, podcast at windowtothemagic.com. It all goes the same place. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash WTTM for me. Or uh, Jeremiah is available at twitter.com slash Good. You can give us a call if you want to hear your voice on the show. That's at 307-GET-WTTM. And of course, you can add us as your friend on Facebook. So be sure to join us again next week. We're going to continue doing non-holiday stuff throughout November. And then once we hit December, it's Christmas time, baby. And we got both coasts covered. Green giant. (laughs) Anyway, uh, okay. So for now... Uh, This has been A Window to the Magic, the ultimate UCLA experience, and I'll see you next time. Some days you eat the bear, and some days the bear eats you, but always dress for the hunt! Come to me! Surround yourself with the magic.